Um, well, good morning, church. Um, happy Championship Sunday. My name is Derek. Go Niners. Uh, my name is Derek, and today we'll be reading from the scriptures from Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. So if you like, please follow along on your own Bibles or on the screen right there. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the reading of God's word. All right. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to uh, True North Church. And uh, for those that are here in person and those that are joining us online, we want to welcome you. Um, now, before we begin the message, I do want to acknowledge and pray for, uh, you know, what has happened in our community in the Silicon Valley as uh, thousands of people have been laid off. Um, I know that this news uh, has impacted not just the people who lost their jobs, but also their coworkers, family members, and even managers uh, who had to carry the weight of um, just that burden for, for weeks. So, and, and some of you are, are members of... Um, uh, of this church, I know that uh, processing this news uh, might have been very difficult. I'm sure it was not easy. Uh, even just, um, you know, one, one person said survivor's guilt. And uh, I just want to take a, a quick moment just to pray for our community um, as, you know, just this economy is, is taking a, uh, making a big impact on us. So uh, join me with me in a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, I have complete faith that you cause all things to work together for the good of those who love you. And even in the midst of such uh, difficult news and circumstances, I want to pray that you may somehow use this opportunity for good. Uh, I pray for all those that have lost their jobs, uh, for their anxiety and worry, and, and for their families, and, and for their health, and, and for the employees that were not directly affected. I, I pray that you will help them process the news and also help them deal with the worry and anxiety that, may have, uh, that they may have in the midst of such a difficult economy, uh, and help us to cling to uh, only the sure thing that we have in this world, which is your love and grace uh, through Jesus Christ. And, and we pray, Lord, that we as a church community, that we would be a place of safety and, and a place where um, people can come to find uh, answers and to find uh, comfort during this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, um, for almost 10 years of my life, uh, I was heavily involved in a parachurch organization uh, and it was a missions organization and that ministered to mobilize college-aged students, uh, college-aged students uh, in Southern California. And uh, my involvement was um, first as a student, and then uh, after that I started seminary and I went into uh, pastoral ministry, and I was also involved as a member of the staff. And uh, seven out of those ten years, uh, I went on short-term missions, uh, and at one point I went for six straight summers. And uh, I even missed uh, my sister's wedding uh, because I committed to go on missions. It was her second wedding, so it's okay. I was there for the first one, okay? Um, and, and to be fair, they, they didn't tell me she was getting married until like way later, okay? Um, kind of weird, huh? I just, um, 
Anyways, that's how serious I was about missions and obeying the Great Commission. And it, it seemed that there was no greater purpose than going out on the field to fulfill the Great Commission and, and proclaiming the gospel to every tribe and tongue. And, and I take the passage in Matthew 24, uh, 14 very seriously, which says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So there was really a mobilization of, of, of college students to think that, hey, like, if you want Jesus to come back, then you got to be serious about really sharing the faith and, and being uh, mission-minded and going overseas and and, and living uh, according to kind of that worldview. And at the same time, I, I do believe um, that, you know, just kind of this idea of being a missionary is very important. And for the majority, you know, for a long period of my life, I, I thought that I was going to be a full-time missionary. You know, I thought I was going to be a missionary in the jungles of the Amazon or, or somewhere in the 1040 window or kind of in the, in the Middle Eastern region where Christianity is, is very opposed. Uh, and it wasn't until my wife said no um, that... I decided not to be a missionary, you know. She said yes before we got married, just to, just to make that very clear, okay. Um, she trapped me. She trapped me. But um, I do believe that there are important, um, an understanding of the importance of some people who are going to be called to be full-time missionaries. And, and I think that is very important for us to, to be able to support and to acknowledge uh, but I do, ha or I have noticed that a lot of people who perhaps grew up in a setting like mine, where whether it was in college or whether it was in your youth group or whether it was in your churches that were very focused on, on long-term missions or, or overseas missions, uh, that oftentimes after you kind of leave that tribe, there is um, like a 180-degree turn in terms of your mindset or in terms of the energy that you place within the topic of missions. And what I've noticed is that... Um, a lot of times it, it becomes like a second or an afterthought now or it becomes something uh, like a form of nostalgia that you look back on or like, oh, I remember when I used to think in this way or I remember when I used to be involved in this way. And now a lot of our focus and attention is just kind of in the here and the now. Um, so I do believe it is very important for us, uh, whether you had a similar experience like me or not, uh, to have a robust biblical understanding and worldview of what it looks like when we obey the Great Commission, uh, both in a theological sense and in a practical sense. So I what I want to share with you today is, um, you know, that I, I, I've been really challenged and energized in preparing this vision series for our church. And, and uh, it was, you know, just, I, I noticed that there was definitely a latency in my own life in coming out of COVID. And I believe that with the conversations I've had with certain church members, um, you know, conversations I've had in, in planning meetings with, with Pastor Eugene and, and sometimes even very well-timed rebukes uh, from members of our, uh, of our church, uh, it really kind of awakened my soul to the need of our church community. And one of that is just the idea that we need to think about what it means for us to be disciples that are on mission. And, and I sense that this awakening ha has touched not only um, myself, but maybe some, even some of you, and, and that really excites me. And so as we conclude our vision series, I want to communicate that our goal does not end with just this series, that this is just the very beginning of, of, of us as a church seeking to move forward in accomplishing uh, God's desire and God's plan and God's mission for us. And uh, this is not something that's going to happen overnight. Uh, we will succeed at some things. We will fail at other things. But I hope that we will, together as a community and as one body, continue to move forward to the best of our ability to keep the vision of our church at the forefront of our ministries and in the forefront of our thoughts. And the, the apex of, of our vision is, is not that we would be missionaries. 
It's that we will be fully formed disciples. And part of that and just uh, is that we will think about evangelism, that we will think about what it means to be on mission, that we will think about what it means for us to think outside of, our, of these walls and think about our community and think about our coworkers and think about people who may not know or understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. So today, we're going to be talking about the topic of the Great Commission. Uh, we're going to be talking about what it means for us to be on mission for God. And we're going to see, number one, uh, what are the things that oppose this Great Commission? What are the things within us that live in opposition to obeying the Great Commission of God? Then we're going to talk about and, and see well, what brings revival to this mission then. If we are naturally inclined to live in opposition to the Great Commission, what must we seek after in order for us uh, to revive this desire to live in accordance to the Great Commission that God has given us? And lastly, we're going to look at some practical ways uh, that we can activate our you know, church community here to live on mission for God. So our first point is this, um, what, what is the opposition to the Great Commission that we struggle with, that we wrestle with, that we are constantly dealing with? Now, all four Gospels uh, and the book of Acts, they each have its own version of the Great Commission. Now, if you think about uh, what is the most important communication um, that you have, you always kind of leave it to the end, right? Uh, and in every Gospel and in the book, uh, we have kind of the Great Commission, uh, Acts is the only one where you see it in the beginning, but it's because it outlines kind of the rest of the book. Uh, so, you know, Matthew 28 is perhaps the most famous of the Great Commission, right? Uh, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Uh, Acts 1.8 is probably the second most uh, recognized. Um, verse 8 might be the verse that you memorized growing up in Bible studies, or perhaps if you did go on a summer mission trip, um, that this is a, a, a passage that was kind of, you know, embedded into you. Uh, and it is a very important and powerful verse, but sometimes we forget um, that Jesus said verse 8, or he, he proclaimed verse 8, in response to the question that the disciples had. And looking at this question is very important for us to see how even as these disciples who had spent every single waking moment of their lives for the last three years with Jesus, under his teaching, and they just witnessed the resurrected Jesus, and for the last 40 days, they have sat under his teaching, and yet, they ask a question that shows that they have a very big misunderstanding of what the purpose and the mission that Jesus had for them. You know, and, and you would kind of think, well, you know, like, are, are they that kind of, you know, just dull? Or, or, or what is it about them? That were they not paying attention? But, I mean, just imagine with me, like, we always think if Jesus was here right now, like, how much more holy would we be? Right, uh, and we add, and we tell ourselves, man, and then if, if you know the resurrected Jesus came right now, like our lives would completely change, right? I mean, these disciples actually lived that for three years. Every day they spent time hearing the teachings of Jesus Christ, and then Jesus resurrected from the dead in his like you know just shining you know form. He comes and he again reiterates the very teaching, and yet the question that the disciples ask is, is almost preposterous. They ask, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, within this very question, we, we see um, uh, the heart of the disciples and, and where their focus was on. Because, sorry, this is like rubbing against my beard. Okay. Sorry, Sean, I just messed up everything, but okay. Better, better. Jesus was very clear about what the kingdom of God was. 
Okay, even in the, in the trial, uh, Pontius Pilate asked him about, uh, about the kingdom. And in John chapter, uh, uh, John chapter 18, this is his response. Jesus answered, the kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. And yet the disciples, as Jesus is, is about to ascend into heaven, they ask, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? The very thing that Jesus was teaching against is the very thing that the disciples were hoping for. And I believe that this is our natural mode of operation to think in a worldly and earthly ways, just as the disciples did, right? And for us, when we break down this answer that Jesus gives, um, or this question that the disciples ask, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? I think there's two main issues that the disciples got wrong. The first idea is the idea of restoration. See, for the disciples um, growing up in the Jewish faith, uh, they were always looking back towards the past. For them, they saw the pinnacle of the kingdom of God as when King David was reigning upon the earth. So for them, they believed when what they were waiting for in a Messiah was the new King David, one who would sit upon the physical throne in Israel, who would rule the nation, who would bring the nation of Israel to its gl former glorious days where all other nations were, were kind of afraid of, of, of the kingdom of Israel. You know, Israel never really lost a war during that time. And that's what they were hoping for. So for them, in this idea of restoration and this idea of the kingdom of God, they were always looking in the past. Second, they were expecting an earthly and political kingdom that was limited to the people of Israel. This meant that what they were expecting and hoping for was an earthly reign that only benefited those that were ethnically or religiously or morally connected to the people of Israel. So this kingdom of God in their minds was a benefit to people who would only align to their ethnic, religious, and political views. So the king, and the, you know, they were very clear, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And when we think, and I kind of think about this, I, this and the misunderstanding of the disciples and how it compares to our modern church and our modern views, um, I, I, I really don't see that much of a difference, right? We, we live in opposition to the Great Commission when we believe that the mission of God and the mission of the church is to change the laws of the land to mirror the moral standards of evangelical Christianity, right? So when the disciples ask the question, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel, what they were implying was that Jesus would be the king of an earthly kingdom where the inhabitants would only consist of those who are willing to live according to Jewish laws. But the goal of the kingdom of heaven was not to force people to earn their citizenship through obedience to the law, but the kingdom was where people can receive the grace of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So uh, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that Christians should not be involved in politics um, nor should we not vote according to what we believe is morally correct. Um, but I think if, if we see the church as only a political tool and that we see that the mission of God and the mission of the church is to change the laws around us to see, uh, you know, to become more conservative or more progressive in, in, in what we feel is, you know, the right political, um, you know, stance, then we've really missed the mark of what the kingdom of God is about. The kingdom of God is not to try to create here on earth, ruled by men, the, the ideas of what we think are good laws and rules. The kingdom of God is, like Jesus says, not of this world. 
And secondly, if we live in opposition to the Great Commission, if we are always looking back to the past to restore how things used to be. Now, as humans, uh, we don't like change, right? And especially Christians, we hate change. And then you get a bunch of Christians all together, we really hate change, you know? Um, think about some of the uh, worship songs that we sing. And, and, and no knock on our worship team. They, they, they do a great job, all right? But, um, like, they're all from my era. You know how I know? Because I can sit back there, and then Kyle is blocking the TV, you know? And for me, like, and I know the words, you know? I, I could sing, you know? Um, I don't even know if there, are there new Christian songs? Like, like are, are there new, like, I, anyway, I don't even know because I don't like change, you know? And we don't like change, right? Uh, and, and, and when we think about in that way, oftentimes as culture shifts and as the culture of the church community begins to slowly change, the ones that are usually in leadership, the ones that usually hold the, you know, the, the power, so to say, are always going to be uh, against the change of how culture shifts. So churches usually are 10 to 20 years behind the culture of, of, our, of our society. You know, and just, you know how long it takes for some churches to move to online giving? Okay? You know how long it takes? It, it took even for pe some churches to think about, you know, streaming live worship. You know, I mean, there's, there's a lot of these, and, but, you know, young people, they'd be like, what do you mean? Well, that, that's just normal right? Because we don't like change, and we're always looking towards the past. So what ends up happening, and oftentimes in a lot of churches, when we think about the mission of God and the Great Commission, is churches, and we're, no, we're not innocent of this, we try to recreate the nostalgic feelings and the nostalgic experiences that we had from our, you know, the pinnacle of our faith. That might be from your youth ministry, that might be from your college experience, that might be from you know, your, your mission trip, whatever it is, we're always seeking to go back to the good old days of the way things used to be. You can have any leadership meeting at church, you can have a, a discussion in your community groups, you can have discussions even within small groups here. And oftentimes if we ask, well what are some of the things you would like to see change in the church, it was, it's never forward thinking. Not never. I would say 90% of the conversations that people and the issues that people will bring up is, well, we used to do this at my old church. Why can't we do it here? Only 10% are, are people who are forward thinking like, oh, you know what? We should think about, you know, the metaverse or whatever, you know, like <laughs> online streaming. Who, hey, we should have like, you know, I don't even, VR, VR worship. I don't know. People, maybe 5% maybe of people will say that, right? And so, and, and that's kind of really the issue. Just by nature, we're always looking for the things that way used to be in the past. And, and we're also always thinking about something very earthly, something that is tangible, that we can actually grasp and hold. But the very mission that God has for us is that there's a kingdom not of this world. And a kingdom that is forward thinking. The people, the Jewish people of Jesus' day would have been flabbergasted to, to hear that the gospel message was not just for ethnic Israel, but that it was for the entire world, right? Jewish leaders were, were flabbergasted when Jesus even had a conversation with Samaritans and they were half-Jews, 
right? This, and the disciples, when, when Peter was given the, the command to preach the gospel to Gentiles, even the very disciples at that moment, they had no understanding of what that looked like. And they were opposed to it at, at first because we're, they were always thinking in such limited terms. So in order for us to really understand the mission that God has for us, we have to be honest with some of our limitations and the fact that the way we think and the way we feel might not always align with the very mission that God has for us. So then how do we go about actually reviving or or restoring a a true heart of, of God's mission within us? And what really brings revival to the mission of God? That's our second point. See, the only way that we can live in obedience to the Great Commission is when we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to take on the work of proclaiming the gospel. Okay? Uh, I'm going to say that again. The only way we can live in obedience to the Great Commission is when we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, when the Great Commission is given uh, as a command by Jesus, uh, his disciples So when he gives this great commission uh, to his disciples, uh, there's always associated with it a promise that God's presence will be with them. And this is because God understands that the difficulty of the task um, is, especially when you think about the fickleness of our hearts, uh, it's being, you know, mission-minded is is very difficult, right? So in Matthew, Jesus says, uh, at the end of the great commission, he says, I will be with you to the end of the age. Uh, John, it, it, when he, in, in the Gospel of John, he says, you will receive the Spirit. You know, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Uh, and then here in Acts, it says, Jesus begins the Great Commission with the promise of the Holy Spirit, right? He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. When, we, when Jesus is referring to the power of the Holy Spirit, he used the word dunamis. And, and this is the word where dynamite comes, Okay. Um, dynamite, you know, dunam- this word dunamis is, is the, uh, the word that describes kind of like this explosive power, this explosive power that kind of creates shrapnel, okay? Um, now, I know that some people in, in some circles uh, believe that the main way that the manifestation of the Holy Spirit comes is through signs and miracles. Um, uh, there's others who, you know, if you're more in a reform view, uh, we kind of shy away from the power of the Holy Spirit or even talking about the power of the Holy Spirit, right? We, we believe uh, that you receive the Holy Spirit at salvation and then that's it. And we don't talk about it ever again. You know, but really like the, the Bible, and especially the New Testament, is, is filled with, with, with the, the manifestation and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, you know, I'm gonna be very clear. I'm more on the conservative side. I'm, you know, I, I didn't really grow up in charismatic circles and, you know, like, n- no offense if you are from that circle, but it, it kind of weirds me out, okay? So I'm kind of like, I hesitate. But the more you read the Bible, the ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit is all over. So for us to not talk about it, for us to not study it, and for us not to even mention it is actually uh, more speaking to our religiousness than about the actual teachings of Scripture. And here, Jesus' last words is, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now, how is this power manifested? Throughout the book of Acts, there's 14 instances where it talks about the filling of the Holy Spirit. In every one of those 14 instances, when people or when groups of people were described as being filled with the Holy Spirit, what followed right after was a powerful witnessing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Now, are there other forms in which the, Holy, the, uh, the work of the Holy Spirit are manifested? Of course, right? It, it can be in many different ways. It can be through healing. It can through, be through prophecy. It can be through other, you know, kind of quote-unquote miraculous ways. But I think the most powerful way in which the work of the Holy Spirit manifests itself is when it takes people like you and me, people who are naturally opposed to the idea of being on mission for God and evangelizing, people who are uh, naturally more timid or you know, not sure about our faith, when we are powerfully filled with the Spirit to the point where we start witnessing to the, the true nature of who Jesus is and what he has done. Now, this is very different from the baptism of the Holy Spirit. At the point of salvation, everyone is baptized by the Holy Spirit. It is a sign and a seal of your salvation. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is not a one-time thing. It is a discipline. It is something that every Christian should be constantly seeking and desiring in our lives because the Holy Spirit is, the pers- is a person. The Holy Spirit is, is a third person in the Trinity. It is something that we should seek after. And how is this accomplished? How are we filled with the Holy Spirit? We are filled with the Holy Spirit when we properly seek God through our spiritual disciplines of prayer, reading the word, worship, confession, you know, participating in the sacrament. These are, these are ways in which we are filled with the Holy Spirit. So now, you know, we showed this um, image before. Uh, this is kind of the, the three circles, and, and this is kind of, you know, you know what we're focusing on in our, in our vision, uh, the presence, formation, and mission. And as we talk about the mi- being on mission, we're not saying that being on mission or being missional or, or thinking about evangelism is, is the main pinnacle of our discipleship. It is only part of it. The main focus and the pinnacle of our, of, of our you know, goal here at our church and in this life is that we'll be fully formed disciples. Uh, in that circle, it says compelling missional disciples. And the only way that we can be fully formed disciples is not if we over-exaggerate one circle and neglect the others, is that we have a very good balance of all three, presence and worshiping God, Formation seeking that we would seek transformation into Christ-likeness and then that we would actually be active in uh, witnessing and being, being evangelists for the gospel of Jesus. And we cannot be people who obey the Great Commission unless we truly understand what it means to worship God in his presence, unless we truly seek to be transformed into his likeness. To be filled with the Spirit of God requires those two things so that we can be disciples who are on mission. And, and, and that's why, you know, we, we talked about it the, the first two weeks of our, of our vision series, and we're going to continue to talk about not just being on mission, but all three of those circles. Because they are, you know, we need all three. We can't just pick and choose what we want. So now, um, moving on to our last point. Uh, this is the practical application. Well, what does this actually look like um, for us at our church? Okay. Now, I am not like the all-seeing all eye. What I say is not the only way. Okay. There are many other ways. And perhaps you guys might have some good ideas, and we want to hear that. But these are just some ideas that I thought about. Okay. Uh, but in order for us uh, to be a witness, first we have to know under, understand what, what does the witness mean, right? Um, the word witness comes from uh, the word wit, and it means to know, right? 
so a witness is a knowledgeable person. A witness is someone who uh, not only knows it in just a, a cognitive sense, but is someone who has experienced it, uh, lived it, and then testifies to it. So not only must you know, but you must also testify to it. In order for us to be knowledgeable of the things of God, we must be people who seek the presence of God in worship. We must seek transformation in our lives through the spiritual disciplines of, of prayer and, and, and reading the word of God in our, in our devotion. Um, so this doesn't mean that you can't be a witness if you don't have that. There are many witnesses who haven't experienced the word of God. You know, there's a lot of false teachers who, who will witness about Jesus and they probably have not experienced the true grace of God, right? So it's possible. But if you want to be a powerful witness, you must truly experience the worship, you know, presence of God through worship and understanding the, 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 the transformation of your mind through the study of the word and through prayer. So in order for us to truly seek being a witness for God, I, I believe we have to focus on those things. Now, here's um, something that, you know, stay with me here. I'm going to connect this. Something that I learned on TikTok. Okay, um, I, I, I forgot who the guy's name was, but he was talking about Price's Law. Anyone know Price's Law? I didn't know either, okay? Uh, Price's Law says that 50% of production of any domain is produced by the square root of the domain, okay? Crazy math stuff. I'll explain it very, very easily. So if you have four people, that your domain is four people. 50% of the production of those four people is produced by the square root of the four people. What's the square root of four? Two, right? You're like, oh, that's, that's awesome. Right? So everyone's doing equal amount of work, right? But as the number gets higher, it actually changes. So if you have a company of 100 people, it says that 50% uh, of the work is done by the square root of the domain, which is 100 people. What is the square root of 100? 10. So only 10, pe so 10 people are doing 50% of the work, and then 50% is done by the other 90. Okay? So go on and on and on, and the number gets smaller and smaller and smaller, right? Now, uh, I, I don't know how many churches are here in the Bay Area. Uh, I'm going to guess 300, maybe 500, right? If we're talking about the work of being on mission and, and sharing the gospel here in the Bay Area, I think in the Bay Area might have like a couple million people, right? I, I don't know exact, I don't know the exact number, but let's say there's 300 churches in the Bay Area, if you take the square root of 300, that means only 17 churches are doing the 50% of the work of, of being on mission here in the Bay Area. If there's 500 churches, then only 22 churches are actually being very missional here in the Bay Area. The rest are very inward focused. Okay. Now, the challenge that I have for us is this. Let's say there's 500, 500 churches. Do we want to be part of the 22 churches or do we want to be the, the other 478 churches? Now, here's the thing, okay? If only 22 churches are doing 50% of the work, you know what that means? Competition to be part of the 22 is very, very small, okay? Because the other 478, they're not, really, they're not really doing anything. They're not really working hard to be missional anyways. So it's not that we have to be stellar and awesome and so attractive and, and, you know, like, and, and have all the right ideas and, and, and have an awesome social media presence and, you know, like, have beautiful, I mean, that, that might help, but we don't have to be awesome at it. But if we work a little bit harder 
to have a focus where we're thinking about those outside of us. If we work a little harder to, to think about, you know, what it means to be more missional. If we work a little harder to think about, well, what, if, what does it look like for me to not only think about my own needs and my own comforts, but the needs and desire and, and you know, the, the wants of the people in my community, we'll be part of the, the 22 churches. But at the same time, if we don't focus on that, it's so easy just to fall in line with the other 90% where we really aren't focusing on being on mission, but we focus on just doing church for the sake of our own comforts, for the sake of what we're used to, for the sake of creating an environment and a place where people who grew up in church want a place to just feel comfortable again. But that's not, that's not the, the call that God has for us, right? So here are a couple things uh, for us to think about. Uh, here are a couple things for us to uh, uh, focus on as we move forward to be a church that is actually on mission, okay? So when Jesus says, um, you know, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, I, I believe he kind of outlines, you know, the, the author outlines the very next um, stages of the book of Acts, so we see a movement, the power of the Holy Spirit moving the gospel in Jerusalem, and we see all the stories in the book of Acts of how the gospel moves in Jerusalem. Then next, we see how the gospel moves through the region of Judea and Samaria. And then lastly, we see the gospel finally going to the ends of the earth, all across Europe and, and, and Asia and Africa. And, and when we think about just those three things, we see a very easy kind of like a broad plan for how we should think about being on mission here at True North. So first is how can we really witness to Jerusalem? Okay. And I think there's kind of two areas for us to think about. Number one, um, we, we have to utilize our Sunday experience to be in, in you know, to, to operate in such a way where we can be witnesses to people who are coming and visiting the church you might be included in that mix, right? Uh, it's so easy for churches to, to make Sunday about a time to gather, to say hi to the people you have, you know, to your friends that you haven't seen throughout the week, right? Uh, it, Sunday can be such an easy way for us to gather and then run to our community groups that we've now have relationships with because we feel comfortable with them. Um, we forget that a lot of times people are making a huge step by going to church. That there are people who are, are struggling, people who are seeking community, people who are maybe thinking, oh, you know what, I haven't been to church in a while, maybe I should go. People who are, uh, you know, have questions about their, their identity or about religion or, or have questions because they got laid off and they're thinking, you know what, maybe I should ch check out a church. And we go and then when we do not have a mindset of seeing church as a potential mission field, then we neglect the very people that God has called us to minister to. Okay. Now, and I'm not calling just you guys out, I'm calling myself out because, you know, after, after the sermon, I'm tired, I just want to go to my kids, you know? Like, let's get out of here, you know? <laughs> get out of here. You want to go? Okay, you want to go? Let's go, let's go. You know, like, oh, bye, hey, see you later. And I'm like, oh, okay. You know, that's, it's so, so much easier to do that. 
But do you remember the first time you, you visited a new church? Okay. I'm a pastor, right? This should be like, this is like my home field advantage, right? I visit a new church. It is, it is the most intimidating and awkward experience that I can think of, right? Um, I'd rather, you know, like visit a new gym <laughs> than visit a new church, you know? Because at least the purpose of going to a gym is very clear. You go to lift heavy things, right? When you go to a new church, it can be very intimidating. Even if you're a Christian and you've grown up in church for the majority of your life, you step foot into a new church and the culture is different, the people are different, the vibe is different, and you're like, how do I fit in? Now imagine if you're someone who hasn't been to church in a while, right? Stepping into a place where there's over 100 people. How difficult of an experience is that? Now imagine if you are an unbeliever and you have no church experience and you step into an environment and people are standing up singing a song. They're like singing karaoke. You're like, what the heck? Why are they singing karaoke? You know, and then you're, you're doing like these things that they're not used to. Like how awkward are they feeling? And then on top of that, if they have social anxiety or if they're more introverted, after service, what happens? Everyone congregates into little, little pods and they're like, what am I supposed to do next? They're waiting for people to act like Jesus, or at least the Jesus that they heard of. Someone who is welcoming, someone who is reaching out to them, someone who is, who is loving on them, someone who is displaying grace to them, and yet all they feel and sense is silence or a cold shoulder. Jerusalem, when we think about our church, uh, it is probably one of the easiest places for us to really think about what it means to be on mission. So just a pr couple practical thoughts, okay? Uh, um, first of all, maybe, you know, some of the things that we can do, and, and this is probably more on the leadership than, than you guys, but something to think about uh, because we do need manpower for this. I think creating, um, you know, bringing back snacks is very important, right? It's some, something simple because if you leave church and then there's no place to go, what do you do? You just stand there awkward and then you go home or you go straight to your car. If there's a place where people can gather and grab a little bit of food, and it creates a little watering hole, a place where you might be able to have conversations, right? Uh, and if you are a member of the church or if you're comfortable in the church, you can see that snack table right away. You see someone you don't notice or you've never met. You see someone who might be kind of like a little awkward and be like, boom, that's the person that I know that God is wanting me to talk to, right? Um, what are some other things? E even community groups, you know, we do want to change the focus of our community groups. Uh, previously, we kind of, you know, it, it's hard to join our community groups because it's, you know, there's not that much space, but we want our community groups to even think about what it means to multiply so that we can create more space. We want our community groups to think about what it means to even actually o open the doors and, and allow people to kind of visit. Even like, hey, we don't want people to visit because it, it, it ruins our vibe. You know, people are opening and sharing and we don't want these random people to come in and then just leave after one visit. Maybe, maybe God is telling us we need to think about that, right? Um, there's, I mean, and, and even just in your own personal lives, there's coworkers, there's neighbors, there's people that you have connections with. And I'm not saying that you need to proselyze and just be like, you know, hey, you're going to go to hell, you know, like, oh, you got laid off, do you know why? You know, like, we're not, we're not saying that, you know, like, we're saying, and, and here's the thing, we're saying genuinely love the people that God has placed in your life and don't treat them as evangelistic projects, okay? Conversion and the working of the Holy Spirit 
is on God. We are called to be witnesses, yes. Part of that is loving them. Part of that might be once you develop a relationship, sharing them about your faith. But you treat them like a project, then they'll sense it right away. And that's one of the worst type of witnessing that we can do. Okay. Um, Judea and Samaria, right? Um, this is kind of pl- uh, put together in, in, in this text. Judea and Samaria are, are this really kind of like the cities that we live in and the needs of the people. Um, I believe that it's important for us not to just be people who are taking the resources from where we live, but actually giving back, right? Um, probably the majority of you are not originally from the Bay Area, and if you are native to the Bay Area, you don't like the people who are not originally from the Bay Area, right? Because you're like, oh, these guys, they're like, now there's a, there's a huge line at Costco or there's a huge line in and out and all these, you know, you're like, and, and it's because oftentimes we just come, we, 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 we pilfer and then we leave. We don't give back. And I mean, you know, if we're, if we're honest, um, the majority of us are uh, in, in circumstances and situations that are considered well-to-do. Uh, and yet we're right next to cities and areas um, that are struggling, right? East Palo Alto is just right across the street, right? There are certain parts of Mount, Mountain View that, that are, you know, quote, unquote, the bad areas. And it's like, oh, don't go there. You know, like the closer you get to the 101, you got to lock your doors, you know, like, and hey, don't, don't go to the Tenderloin. And, you know, we, we think in that way, and, and I, I understand why, right? I understand why. But at the same time, if we're able to use our time and energy and resources to connect to certain organizations that are already doing the work of helping the community, how, how awesome would that be if we're able to partner with them? And I mean partner not by just giving uh, things in our pockets and our money, but partnering by giving them actually our time, our energy, our prayers, and, and even our just relationships with them. Okay? Um, pre-pandemic, I was a lot more lenient with our members of the church. I'm like, dude, our members are busy. They work so hard. Like, you know, like I can't imagine doing all the, when the, pa- I was, when the pandemic hit and everyone's working from home, I realized, no, no, you guys, you guys have so much time. Everyone has so much time, myself included. We all have so much time. We choose not to use that time for the, for the helping of the people around us, right? Because let's be honest, when you work from home, how many hours do you actually work? You know how I know? You know how many people reached out to me to play golf during the week? I know. And I play with them. So I know how much time I got too. You know how many people during the pandemic I saw on their Instagram just traveling to random places? And I'm like, what the, are you on vacation all the time? Like, no, I'm actually working. From the Philippines? Yeah. You know, like, and they're like, you know, paddleboarding, you know, just like living the life, you know, with their life. So I know how much time people have. And I believe for us to truly be on mission, we have to also think not only about our Jerusalem, but, but our Judea and Samaria as well. That there are people here who are, and, and you know, if, if, if tech workers are getting laid off, um, the people below them and, and the, the blue-collar workers below them, they're also struggling as well. And lastly, um, the ends of the earth. We've got to think globally as well, okay? Uh, globally in the sense that uh, we have to think about what it means for us to identify missionaries, uh, support missionaries, pray for missionaries, um, to have relationships with missionaries, uh, to think about what it means to, to think on a global scale of, of different churches all over the world who are in, you know, we probably need their relationship more than we need, uh, they need ours, to be honest, in a spiritual sense. They probably just need our resources, okay? But we need that connection 
to help revive our heart and desire to understand and to ignite in us the importance of making disciples of all nations, that every tribe and tongue will one day bow down and worship at the feet of Jesus. And yet, if we are just so focused on just one geographical area or we only focus so much on American Christianity, we are not doing the work that God has called us to look at. Um, again, just to reiterate, this doesn't mean that next week we're going to be like super missional and that we're going to be doing all these crazy things. Um, but this does mean, um, you know, hopefully that we will continue to focus on these areas. And if you have a heart in any of those areas here, whether it's Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, please don't be silent. Speak to us. Share with us your heart. There are many areas where we can use and utilize um, you know, your, your energy, your giftedness, your talents, so that we can be a church that is part of the 22, not the 478. Right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Um, God, I, I know that you call us to be disciples who create and make more disciples. Um, help us to have a heart for the lost. Help us to utilize our time and resources for the people around us. Uh, help us to be a church um, that doesn't just exist uh, in the shadows here in the Silicon Valley, but that whether you are a Christian or whether you are a, a non-Christian or wh whatever the case, that we would have some impact, that we would have relationships and that we would be able to be a light in a place that needs to know who you are. So God, um, I believe that in the times of difficulty, that you give us more opportunities to shine your light. In the times when economies are bad, in the times of tragedy, in the times when people have questions, we believe or we hope that people will run to your churches to seek comfort and answers and, 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 and seek community. So prepare us to be ready. Prepare us to be that type of witness for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray.